Hello, and welcome to Lockdown Film Festival Conversations. In this week's episode, we discuss the 2013 film Dallas Buyers Club, starring Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto. After being diagnosed with HIV in the mid-80s, Ron Woodruff fights against the system to provide medication for those afflicted with the disease. Thanks for joining us, and here's the conversation. Week 35, and it was Charlotte's choice of Dallas Buyers Club, written by Craig Borton and Melissa Wallach, and directed by Jean-Marc Vallée. And I'll pass over to Charlotte now to let us know why she picked it and to run our discussion. Not very good at this, just a disclaimer. I choose films to enjoy them, and the thought of dissecting it is making me feel a bit sweaty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll try. Um, I chose it because it's been one of those films that I've always wanted to watch and never really got round to. Um, my mum watched it on a plane, I think, when it first came out and ever since then has said, you should watch it. And then we thought after we watched It's a Sin, we thought it carried on quite nicely to then watch that after. So yeah, so that's why I chose it. And um, we quite enjoyed it, didn't we? Very much so. I had a great time. Well, maybe not as fast as <laughs> um, but it, I thought it was a very good film and so did you didn't you yeah um, fantastic performances yeah we thought that the performances were really good thought maybe that's where we could start our discussion <laughs> yeah mid reconnaissance Matthew yeah um, so this was the film where he lost a fucking shit ton of weight wasn't it for yeah for he role. lost like did he lose 30 pounds or did Jared Leto lose 30 pounds? One little lost like 30 and one lost like 45, didn't they? So I think McConaughey yeah. lost more yeah. because I probably imagine he was probably bigger to start with, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and it was quite like really, really disturbingly noticeable, I thought, when he first came on screen. I didn't recognise him at all to begin with. Um, and when you see him like in the hospital bed and he rolls over and there's just nothing. Oh, his leg, like his bum, is terrifying. That was a hilarious shot, by the way, when he just signs himself out in the uh, in the yeah, yeah. <laughs> with his cowboy. <laughs> Very good. We were saying, imagine that you were bragging about getting to have sex with Matthew McConaughey in a film, but it's in him in this state rather than <laughs> guy in ten days. <laughs> I'd take it. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, no, the scene when Rayon's massaging his calf made me feel like ill just talking about how skinny he was because like the separation of the muscle and like the tendon made me feel so uncomfortable. But yeah, I guess they did a really good job of how viscerally ill he looked right from the off. Like these the first 20, well, 15 minutes of him just living that horrendous lifestyle and just the state of him was I think it's such an impactful way I and mean, that's where the story starts but what a like a visual thing to start with kind of thing um yeah so it was really clearly that was a very important part of the role for him and it fully worked and I liked how you gradually saw him get better like it's not like he was ever a big guy but after he'd been in Mexico you could see a glow come back to him couldn't you kind of thing and I did I thought that was impressive you could track their journey almost yeah like the color of his skin came back very yeah noticeably didn't it 
Yeah. And you almost had the opposite effect with with Rayon as well. Like there was when you first meet Rayon, like looks okay, not great, but then as it goes through, like you see more kind of like discoloration on the face, and it was you could see where it was going. Almost it was kind mm. of a signifier in the makeup design of how ill Rayon was getting. Mm. You had a, a little tidbit about makeup design on this, didn't you? Yeah, their budget was only two hundred and fifty quid. No they went and asked for it. They did, yeah. Mm. Wow. Fun dollars. fact. Dollars, not quid. Mad. Fuck you. Even less than. Yeah, that's a new theatre budget right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that normally just covers a bit of talcum powder for the, for the old character. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, they need a powder, powder in Jared Leto's dad. Jared Leto's dad looks like he was. Well, I actually looked it up, and the actor was seven years older than Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd launch on that because Gus and I were talking earlier that that was a bit of a jarring moment. Where I was like, yeah, this man yeah. looks as old. And I don't know whether that was um, whether we're meant to have thought that Rayon was older than he was, and all. I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's any reason behind it or whatever. But I was, it took me out of that scene a little bit. I was like, he's not old enough to be his dad. Well, Rayon was supposed yeah. to be the same age as Jennifer Garner, yeah? Yes. Because they went to school together, right? Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's, it's not worth a point worth dwelling on. I just thought that was <laughs> quite funny. Because um, I said to Gus, I'd seen this film before, and I absolutely loved it. And spoilers, I really enjoyed it this time as well. But I, I remember really being moved by that scene initially. And then this time, I was just quite a little bit distracted. That dad does not look old enough. But there we go. <laughs> I wonder if that if if they chose to do that to make Rayon look a lot worse. That's what I thought, and perhaps he's actually meant to be a lot younger. But yeah, just thought that was interesting. More talcum powder on that man, although he didn't have any hair. (laughs) (laughs) I think the hair was the issue. He had a fairly young face. Like he he looked, his face looked like he was in his forties. So I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not buying this. Yeah, a cracking scene that is one I particularly found very touching that he'd uh, put himself through that very uncomfortable situation to reach out um, was uh, yeah, really nice Yeah, character wise you could see it was a really good um, piece of evidence how much uh, Ron meant to Rayon at that point obviously I think or at least the, the whole plight meant to Rayon and I, I, one of my favourite things was the build of that relationship between Rayon and Ron, obviously, quite quite honestly, in the scene in the supermarket where he makes yeah. bringing the dog shake his hand and everything. So I quite liked that building of the friendship and the eventual hug at one point. Um, considering where Ron starts with Rayon and like, don't touch me and stuff, I, I, and I, again, I think that just adds to what we saw of Ron's character and how accepting he becomes, and or and also you know the limits to his acceptance still near the end kind of thing. So. Um, I guess that's a testament to the performance of both, but uh, I thought that was just a nice central relationship. Nice is a bad word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the film kind of hung off the fact that, you know, how impressive the two of them were together in the development of that relationship, definitely. Yeah, the hug bit was quite emotional, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 HB style cry. (laughs) (laughs) Very weepy, this one. 
I am. Um, I already. I went initially when he very first comes back into Jennifer Garner's office and, and asks for AZT. Like he's done his research, he's come to the conclusion that he is going to die. And I was already crying because, like, when he he wants AZT, like he's already come to terms with it. Then, and that was the first time I went. And unsurprisingly, I went quite a lot throughout this film. And I already knew what was going to happen, and I still cried. So. I don't know how emotionally um, draining it was for anyone else. Perhaps it didn't hit the beats, but um... I, I'm sorry. No, you go, go. I think it was almost like I cry at everything, but I think I was so shocked, especially at his scenes when he was crying. Well, he was howling, wasn't he? Mm. That was um, you know, like when he's in the car and he just stops because he just needs to let it all out. That mm. I couldn't cry because I was just so shocked by it. <clears throat> Yeah, it was a very, like, visceral response. Wasn't it? it was, like, really natural. Like, I can imagine that is how... You wouldn't even cry, you just howl and make noise. Yeah. And that scene in her office as well, Harry, I think, just impressed on me as well how hard it is to get information at that point mm. and how much... How unknown it all was and what a mystery. And, like, thank God, like, one of the joys of internet, I guess. Um and just having easy access to information nowadays. Um, yeah. Everything was so shrouded in mystery and uncertainty mm -hmm. and you only get one source because that's all that you have access to in your local library, even if there's far more out there or whatever. Totally. Uh, and I just, I thought when, that when they handed in the two leaflets and originally like, here's all your information, you're going to be dead in 30 days kind of thing. And although he storms out and perhaps there was going to be more information to come, that was, that was it. And I guess, that was his whole catalyst, wasn't it? To be like, well, I'm going to find the information. I'm going to, I'm going to sort this out. And the switch from, well, I mean, I, I, early on, we we gathered that he wasn't, he was a bit of a hustler and clearly like a clever enough guy. But the the level of intellect he applied to researching what was wrong with him after he came to terms with it, I thought was amazing. And then to do what he did to run that outfit was was so impressive. And it and it just take something I guess life-threatening or something that massive to change your personality and of course it would but I thought that they did a really good job of showing that quite quickly as you would because of the time restraint. Yeah and whatever his motives were as well initially however selfish it was and that he kept records and that he was tracking everything he wasn't just giving out the drugs and letting people go about their business like he was backing up all the research he was making so that he could then take it to other people later. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you could say more research than the people peddling the AZT, mm. as you see from right from the beginning. I don't know if anyone thought the same as me, but going into this, all I knew was that he had um, 30 days till he die. So in my head, I thought, right, this is almost like a last ditch. How's he gonna help so many people in 30 days? When it was day one after about four minutes, I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then yeah. day seven, after about nine, I was like, all right, okay, this is uh, <laughs> going to speed up. And then day 28, I was like, these are some intense last two days for the next hour. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Uh, so, yeah, that, I, so I really enjoyed that kind of like aspect of it and him growing and just wanting to help people. And the fact that they were like, well, you can't sell these drugs illegally. So, all right, okay, fine. I'll make a membership subscription then. So I'm not selling the drugs. I'm giving them away as part of that. Um, mm. Yeah, very switched on throughout. Mm. 
yeah with the with the countdown of the day it was so powerful then so that at the end they could say 2000 so yeah. Yeah. yeah we all just went what like, yeah. Yeah. Really powerful, I, I like that desperately trying to do the maths yeah. <laughs> there was something i, I enjoyed that as a device because it just cemented you know after they say you've got 30 days to live they could have left it but it was just like a constant reminder wasn't it and i thought it was uh uh, I don't know if other people, I thought it was just really a useful device just to remember what kind of scale he was on. And it kind of like matched the, um, his mania, kind of like, like how much he thought, okay, I've really got to get shit together now. And it just like a little ticking reminder, I thought that worked. Yeah. I think this is like when he gets told in the hospital that he's got 30 days to live and he's like, oh, nothing can kill me in 30 days. Kind of it there. The Billy Big Bollocks acts, and then like three of the films, and see how strong a character he actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with his incredible diet of what was it? Coke, alcohol, and uh, <laughs> something else. Just like Lazy that. tea. Yeah, like junk Oops. cups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. Um, oh, go on. No, go on, Max. I was going to say, I think an interesting point of discussion. Uh, will definitely be if this film was made now obviously they would not cast Jared Leto as Rayon and I'm mm. very intrigued if anyone has looked up as to why he was cast in the first place and whether they had even considered any um, trans people to play the role or what that was because Gus and I were speaking and he thought originally did they cast him because he looks quite androgynous uh, and the person who was cast before him was Gail Garcia Bernal who's also a little bit androgynous, but I don't know if that was almost their way of trying to blur the line back in 2014. Mm. I didn't didn't really know anything about him personally. All I knew was, I don't think I've ever seen him act in anything before. All I knew is he was 30 seconds to Mars. (laughs) I used to be a fangirl back in the... Um, But I didn't know anything about him at all. But when I researched it, I couldn't really see anything. Mm. I guess he's, he's queer, but he's not trans, yeah. as far as I know. Yeah. Unless in 2014, they're just thinking, ah, queer, it's part of LGBT. It'll be fine. Stick it in. Um, I honestly think that's the case, though. Have we not? I mean, I'm not the person to speak on this, but how much progress has been in the last year, let alone, you know, but 2013, I'm thinking, is that the opinion of the filmmakers that that, that suffices at that point? I mean, when Danish Girl, Danish Girl's after this. Uh, I, I think we're only correcting these problems now, really. I mean, maybe I'm wrong because there's a whole, you know, um, area of trans film that I won't be aware of that's been progressive for a while. But this, I think you're right, Max, in that, this is a much bigger conversation this script is being made today 100% and I guess that Leto being androgynous is is their reasoning for the time I don't, I don't know I don't know but it's an ongoing conversation that there will still be plenty of people that defend the choice today I think what makes it worse in my mind is that this character is fictional um mm. where a lot of the story is obviously true and based on fact Rayon didn't exist and so they've sort of ticked the little box of putting a trans character in there where they didn't need mm. to. It could have been a very gay man 
which yeah. Ron would have had just as much issue with, and they could have had that same dynamic sparring off. And yet they've put a character in, but done so little research into how to portray that character mm. well or fairly, um, which did rub me up the wrong way a bit. They kept referring to her as he all the way through. Like even the doctor was saying, where is he? Like he's this, he's a drug addict, he's that. And at first I was kind of thinking, are they just a like a drag queen is this is this performative rather than if that makes sense but then as they went on and every now and then Matthew Mahonahay don't know how to pronounce his surname so I'm just gonna say you like we're best friends um his character would keep dropping in things saying like oh you can get that sex change you want or I'll this and stop looking at her breasts and all of this stuff so I felt like as it went on it became very clear that they were trans but everyone still kept saying he, which I thought was an interesting choice if you say it's a completely fictional character. I, I noticed that as well, Laura, and I, I was waiting for the moment where someone would finally refer to Rayon as a woman, like use the pronoun yeah. she or something like that. The only thing I would say is, you know, this is set in the 80s, so are we really expecting... Is it is it realistic to write these characters as using the correct pronouns in the mid-1980s? probably not so it's you know i'm not saying that it's they're dealing with the issue particularly well but i'm mm. not surprised the characters didn't use the correct pronoun because of when the film is actually set i understand but i feel like in making that character at all she, she had enough scenes where she was calling people out for their bullshit that i feel like if you've made this character up why wouldn't you make a scene where she calls them out on that bullshit no no like, that, that's that's totally fair like they're, they're, i'm not saying there shouldn't be an acknowledgement of it Mm. I just, yeah, like the, yeah, and I think my point is like the character, yeah, there wasn't enough of pay attention paid to it for several reasons. I think is what I was kind of like trying to push towards. I think we discussed it, didn't we? And but along the lines of, I think the film in itself, there is some quite serious, obviously homophobia, isn't there? And some scenes where it's quite uncomfortable. So I thought that was like a choice along those lines of they're not going to call them she because, you know, in in their eyes, a lot of the time, mm. they might think, mm. oh, well, he's a man. Mm. You know, like a lot of the, because some of the scenes were quite, especially like, you know, in the supermarket and things were quite uncomfortable, weren't they? So I didn't know if that was quite a conscious choice from that. I think Eve made quite a good point earlier, though, when we were talking about it, and she said that um, there were enough scenes with Rayon and her friend to allow her friend to call her by the correct pronouns. And, you know, those people who are, you know, of the same mindset rather than the doctor or the or Ron or whatever, that it, it, there was just not one moment where it happened, which... Yeah, I... I... I thought as well because Jennifer Garner's character referred to Rayon as he on a couple of occasions. So that's why, I mean, when we started this conversation, I referred to Rayon as he because nowhere in the film is she referred to as she. So I, that's what question that Jennifer Garner, who seemed like her complete champion, referred to Rayon as a man on a couple of occasions. So I didn't know, I guess because there was no definitive statement, but, you know, there shouldn't have to be, you know, 
we I guess it's what we have to take from it. And it felt like Jennifer Garner's character was our best vessel to fully understand Rayon. And but maybe Gus's point about it being the 80s and even who we think the most progressive character would be isn't going to be progressive, potentially. But I just thought that was strange that Jennifer Garner even, or the character even. Well, yeah, it was, it, yeah, the, like, as I was saying, the moment where I thought it was going to happen was when Rayon was basically on her deathbed and the nurse was saying, uh, um, there, there's no AZT, he's just on morphine. And there was this long pause and I was waiting for Jennifer Garner to say she's on morphine because I just thought mm. that's what the line was going to be. And then, and then it wasn't like, that was the moment I was expecting it to happen that like, you know, it would be not necessarily great writing that it only happens on someone's deathbed, but that's what I was expecting the writing to be in that moment. They're like, Oh, we're finally going to acknowledge that their gender identity mm. at this moment. And they didn't even do it then. Mm, I think it like, I don't know about the film, but if they'd consulted any trans people about how they would like to be portrayed, mm. they would have said, we understand that you need to acknowledge the homophobia and the transphobia around at the time, but give us the dignity to refer to us correctly in some form or some capacity. And like her boyfriend or someone would gender her correctly. There would be mm. something in there. Um, I think what you said earlier, Neve, as well about the fact that, you know, as you say, the fact that it's a, and, and not necessarily a real character potentially it's you know it's a composite or whatever we don't exactly know but like I thought it was also odd that this was you know film was primarily you know most of the characters who were part of the Dallas Buyers Club were homosexual men like Rayon was the only transgender woman I think I maybe noticed in the film or like that had any like it was also like if you're gonna have I don't know I felt like there could have been more as well potentially i know that like what you were saying like if you're gonna do it then you've got to give it more attention you've got to be more careful with it which is absolutely true but i was just surprised that i felt like it was homosexual men and one transgender woman that's the way i felt like it was set up and i thought that was a really odd choice mm. yeah that also i think like as well if they're creating these characters for representation in the story it felt like it was very tokenistic to just have one character mm. from the LGBT community at the forefront and the rest sort of just the people lying up down the road or, you know, the two blokes who gave them the house and weren't in it for much more than that. It, I'm, yeah, I don't, I, I struggle with it because I feel like the film was very well paced and the story was very well told. If you're just looking at, you know, filmmaking and how to tell a story well, but socially sometimes it felt a little bit tone deaf well i was talking to harry earlier and i was saying how i was i was the same as harry i saw this when it came out and i really really liked it and then coming back to it this time i was kind of shocked by how little leto even was in the film or did in the film or had any significant moments in the film like I understand it's like, you know, these the writer, the one of the one of the writers like met Ron Woodruff, no knew him, wrote the, the story based on interviews, interviewing him and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, I'm not surprised at all that it's a primarily Ron Woodruff story. But my memory served that Rayon was such a bigger character in this film than she was. And so when going back to it, I was like, I can't quite believe how little everyone else apart from Ron is in this film. And I think it was a clear decision to go down that way, but Ron not being 
part of the LGBT community means that you can't focus so much on him and not the the community like because when he's going to the Oscars like 71% of people who were getting HIV and AIDS according to that report were homosexual or bisexual men at the time it's like so therefore it should be more about that group potentially with Ron as our avenue in maybe mm-hmm. but it wasn't it was it was him the whole time in almost every single scene dominating every single scene and I wasn't massively complaining because McConaughey was so good but you know, that just felt like they'd chosen the wrong things to focus on at times. Just to go off that point there about the amount of screen time that Jared Lowe got, I I hadn't seen this film before, but I had watched a compilation of his scenes back when it came out because I was just a massive fan. Um, And I was like, ooh, he's in something else. but I was watching it and I was like, oh, at any point we're going to see like more. Because I was like, oh, I've seen this scene. I remember this from YouTube. And then the next scene would come kind of like, yeah, I've seen this scene as well. Like I've seen it on YouTube. And then it got to her death scene. It was like, are there no more scenes? Was that it? Was that five minute clip that I watched back in 2014? Actually, like the entirety of her story. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, Gus, you make a really good point about like, the focus of the film in terms of like we see you know he's our way in Ron as a character but like he's a straight man who previously to his diagnosis was wildly homophobic racist quite you know bigoted man and like is then we we kind of see him become a victim of his own prejudices and kind of biases throughout the rest of the film it's kind of like a, uh, it's a yeah. You're, it's so well acted and so well performed that you're kind of gripped and you're you're taken along with the story. But if you kind of think about it on a surf, on like a face value level, it's like why? I don't know. There's, there's something a bit that kind of I felt a bit strange watching it. As like this is the entire viewpoint of this man, who for you know the better part of his life has hated all these people that he's hanging around and make, like making money off. Um, and the arc was great by the end, but yeah, there was something in it that kind of, I was kind of thinking. There was a moment where I thought, this is not that dissimilar from the whole Grand Torino racism yeah. issue that Walt Kowalski's character had, whereby like, oh, they're a kind of virile racist, virile homophobe, and then they have to confront those people that they hate so much because of some horrendous thing that happens. And it was like, yeah. obviously it dealt with the issue slightly better than Grand Torino, yeah. but you know, if uh, there were moments where I was like, oh, this is a quite similar journey, but, you know, not quite similar, a slightly similar journey. Mm. Yeah, we touched on this when we were talking about it earlier as well. And I think the, 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 it stands out as being more problematic, perhaps, because there's so few queer stories told about the time regardless. But in isolation, this is a very interesting story. Mm. And probably mm. merits a film being made about it. It's just a shame that it is the only film, perhaps, yeah. incredibly few films of the time period and of the age. So therefore it then feels a bit ick. But maybe a big star cast, maybe like you've got to take the positives from it and see it as an entry for people that perhaps wouldn't otherwise watch this kind of cinema. Um, mm is is the positive to take from it isn't it and it may be grounding for more to be made in the future 
Mm. How yeah. much do you think? Oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. No, no, Harry, you go. Oh, well, mine was a well, sort of segue. I was just going to ask if anyone's seen the film and the band played on. Because I haven't, but what someone from work recommended to me ages ago, and I really wanted to pick it, but, but I couldn't find it anywhere. But it was a, it's a film from the 90s. I mean, it's incredibly star-studded, but it was about the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. But I, th- I haven't seen it, so I can't say. I was just wondering if anyone had, but I think that's a film that has more emphasis on... Um, like the gay rights activism movement at the same time, mm. but I, I, that's a bit of a clutch. Another another one that mm-hmm. came to mind for me was um, the Normal Heart, which was originally a play and then was adapted by HBO, I think, into a television movie a few years back. Um, and you know, Mark Ruffalo's the lead, and he's obviously not; he's straight. But in general, a lot of the cast are from the LGBT community, so that's quite good. And it's like directed by a gay man. So like that's another one which is focuses a lot on similar things, perhaps like you know the the AIDS crisis and and gay rights activism, and that was very well received. So that's another one. But like, yeah, I mean, I feel like something that was so huge and affected so many people and still does this day shouldn't really be count, able to count off on one hand the number of things that I know that have been made about it. Mm. I was going to say before, just I wonder if anybody who has seen It's a Sin, like I wonder what our interpretation of this movie was that being so popular at the minute and the fact that there has been something in the media that is being like touted for being such good representation and writing and all the rest of it for... The 80s 90s I mean I have my issues with that as well but like the fact that it's got a lot of people talking about it and thinking about it to then watch this film where it is a white cis straight man's story of AIDS I wonder if that's or how that's influencing our opinions maybe. In terms of comparisons um obviously with, with in it's well not obviously because I don't know who's watched it but um, I'm not going to give anything away. It's just that they don't really mention women um, much in its mm-hmm. how they were affected. So when the woman turned up on the film, I was like, oh, there we go. Um, it, it, like, nice that they kind of tick that box. <laughs> tick yeah. that one. Literally yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although she was there primarily for just a funny moment where Ron finally gets to have sex again after a long, long time of not <laughs> wanting to pass on <laughs> HIV. <laughs> yeah. This whole thing, yeah, like you can't possibly have sex. Why is no one using a condom? No, there just wasn't enough known about yeah. it, was there? There was so yeah. much fear and scaremongering about the whole thing. No yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly, I think it's shocking, surprising how recently condoms are actually used for sexual um, transmitted disease prevention as well as contraception but yeah at the time it was literally just for stopping babies I think mm. hence why obviously it was associated with with men having sex with men initially so or one one of the reasons well it's interesting I think considering the two kind of like angles the two pieces come at in, in tackling like this issue of the AIDS pandemic at the time because I think without spoiling much and it's a sin the uh issue I think it far that they focus on more I think is the issue of um the you know the knowledge of 
actually you know the disease itself and how it's passed on and where they get information about it um and it's kind of said within the film that they sorry within it's a sin that they know more about it in the US than they do uh, in the UK. Um, and it's interesting then watching this film where the focus is in the US and they still have absolutely no idea what's going on really. Mm. Um, but I suppose, yeah, this film tick tackles it in a slightly different way in, in that it kind of, its angle is more on the drugs kind of side of things and you know, how they tr would treat it and how people you know, are getting remedies for it. Um, so it is interesting comparing the two, but I think, yeah, there's this base, base kind of, you know, um, message that no one knew what on earth was happening with it and no one, medical professionals didn't really care because of the whole stigma surrounding it. And, you know, that led to such, such, such a horrible, awful situation that really wasn't that long ago. That was, I think, mm. one thing that really like staggered me about, um, it's a sin in particular was thinking like how old my parents were at the time of this pandemic like um my dad would have been 31 in 1985 so it's like baffling when i think how how close it was and how yeah how <laughs> how, how awful it was for for the time um, to go off that anna my american mate at work who's 32 and i was chatting to her about it's a sin and she was why have i got the milk out and she was saying in school when she was in school they had things in school where they're like right we've got to wash our hands now no we don't share drinks no it because of aids and it was like every throughout primary and secondary there was this thing like do not share drinks do not share pens do not share pencils do not all of that and just interesting so we were talking about it in the kind of perspective of pandemic at the minute but just interesting that even in you know the 80s and 90s in schools in America that was the level that we're currently experiencing but for AIDS rather than and yet in contrast we had section 28 which banned anyone talking about anything yeah so, don't talk about anything I think the difference between me for the two is just like the the aim of the project I guess like the film is very much telling the narrative and telling the story of mm. Ron and what he went through whereas it's a sin it's very much a love letter to the community and to the people that survived and the people that died at the time. Like it's, there's so much love in that project. Yeah. Where it's, and there's not that much narrative really. Obviously you're following the, the friends, but not a huge amount. You don't go on a huge journey with them. Um, whereas, yeah, I think Dallas Bias Club is very much following its narrative and not necessarily aiming to serve any particular audience. Mm. it's probably aiming to critique rather than serve like so i think a big driver of the film was the fact that its focus on was on the fact that there were the were drugs that could treat this and the were drugs that they could be looked at this but the price that has to be paid for them is fucking massive and you know and whilst is whether that is okay well it's definitely not okay is it but you know um someone trying to address that and you know he's probably not doing it in the right way um probably you know not the not the sort of the right focal point for it as such but um i think putting that analysis on screen was definitely interesting yeah i found i found the discussion about you know the medical science and the drugs to treat the disease was interesting but also quite problematic because 
it got to the point where I, I was quite relieved at the, the moment when I think Ron says, you know, I'm not, you know, these people have got, they've got, they've got HIV, they've got AIDS. I'm not trying to cure the disease. I'm just trying to make them kind of more comfortable. And so that sort of allayed some of my fears, but it felt a little bit kind of pseudoscience, you know, ignore medical professionals. You know, there's all these articles out there that tell you that it's not correct. And I was like, oh, this is the kind of thing that we should, you know, we shouldn't fully trust these medical companies who are making these drugs entirely because, you know, as, as proven in this film and in other films, there's an element of profit to be made. But there were points where I was like, oh, this kind of thinking is sort of a little bit what we get for people trying to not be vaccinated and stuff yeah. like that. And I was just... It, I found it interesting, you know, and a very interesting debate. But I remember, like, when I first saw the film and was a, you know, a quite young, impressionable man. Not that I'm not, well, I'm not young anymore. But I'm <laughs> probably, not, probably still impressionable. But, like, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're prescribing all these drugs that are just evil and they're killing people. And it's like, well, it's kind of not really exactly the case. And, like, you know, they're still using AZT now. It's just they didn't know exactly what they were doing with it. And so I think the film doesn't, interesting slash okay job with the way it deals with the drugs issue but i don't know whether it could have been but i suppose because it's so from ron's point of view that's the way it's going to portray it mm. why don't you jump in pav and tell me how much i got right or wrong <laughs> no, I think that, was, that was a very fair point and yeah i'm sure we will well have some di differing opinions on it but i think i think that's i think that's a fair point and i think obviously there's a lot of corrupt pharma across the world, but the US being, you know, predominantly bad at it. And there are a lot of issues with the FDA even today. Um, uh, and, but I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think it was interesting because I think from the, from the medical perspective, you had, you had sort of two, two characters representing the science of it, which was, Jennifer Garner's character and I don't know what the other, his name was the the older gent. Um, and it's and it was, character. Yeah, and it was like it was a it was a little bit, you know, one of them was a good doctor, one of them was a bad doctor. Because um, you know, like I think the way he broke the diagnosis to Matthew McConaughey was pretty awful. Um, and I'm so, I'd be surprised if that's not used in medicals actually, because it was. It was really, it was a really good demonstration of what not to do. But like it was, it felt, it felt a little bit black and white between the two of them. Um, and I think you're right. I think there is a bit more of a grey area in that. There was, there was one scene where I thought that, that the argument for and against trialing these drugs was was made a bit clear, which is when he goes into Jennifer Garner's office and is saying, and she's trying to explain that you know Matthew McConaughey is trying to help, and he's you know he's, you know he's 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 trying to do a good thing, but he's saying yeah, but there's no there's no evidence. So we can't give an evidence base for it, and therefore there's no re there's no valid research going on, which was corrected later on. But I think, I think it could have been explored more. I think you're right. I think I'm, I'm waffling on now, but I think it could have been explored in a bit more detail because I think it's difficult the the ethics around trialing something in a totally new pandemic. And again, we're seeing it now. You know, so many so many clinical trials have started in the last uh, ten months or so for covid um but obviously there's a lot of regulations to make it safe to make it ethical and maybe that wasn't the case as much in america in the 80s um but i think you're right i i think ultimately there still would have been a lot of a lot of medical bodies trying to do a good thing at the time and maybe that wasn't made that clear 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's an interesting point for both of you. And because I, 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 the doctor, the, the the male doctor, and then the guy who was like the face of the FDA, they were vilified through Ron's eyes. But realistically, they weren't bad guys. Like there was a scene where like the male doctor was with child patients and stuff like. And he wasn't ever an evil bloke, nor was the FDA guy. He was never evil. They were kind of doing their jobs to what they thought was the best thing at the time. So I, at the time, I thought, oh, they're just like the bad guys to come in and be a foil. But in retrospect, they weren't. I thought it was actually quite well handled. They didn't seem like terrible guys. And you could kind of see where both of them were coming from, you know, like because Ron seem to be causing disruption to both of their worlds, despite what we now know is obviously doing a good thing, but they didn't think so. I don't know. I just, I'm interested to think what people, the characterization of the villains of the piece, I thought was quite well balanced because they weren't like snarling evil people, especially not the, the FDA guy. He seemed just like a guy trying to do his job and let Ron go through initially as the priest when he knew something was up kind of thing. Um, and I just thought, that's a, that's it trod an interesting line without being being obvious villains but it was a bit more kind of like big, a focus on like on. it was it, i think it was primarily like a focus on like the dangers of like potential dangers of bureaucracy like the fact that mm. you know these people who work in these organizations are not or they're told that they can't think for themselves kind of thing like, i think that's kind of what it was trying to point out the idea especially the FDA, because you say how he let him through and he probably didn't really all the time want to be doing these things to Ron and these people. But it, as you say, it was his job. He has to follow the rules, like the rules of the FDA or what he has to enforce, whether he agrees with them or not. And like sort of the same with the doctor, wasn't it? Like you could tell mm. that, you know, he didn't fully believe in AZT as the way it was maybe being implemented, but that was his job to do. That was the trial he had yeah. to carry through. He just was doing the trials as he thought he had to kind of thing. I just thought it was a clever piece where it was like, it's actually the whole system that is shitty rather than like weaker films would have been like made the doctor an arsehole or made the the FDA guy a you know, piece of shit kind of thing. I just thought it was, it showed the quality of the script that they weren't, it wasn't black and white as, as I saw it kind of thing. It was the whole system at the time and the lack of information. Yeah. I did wonder at one point if whether they were trying to compare um, Ron and the guy who was selling the drugs, because you know when Jennifer talks about his um, Rolex and then you see a scene where um, Ron's putting on all of his gold jewellery and everything and they kind of zoomed into that. So mm. I don't know whether they were trying to say something by that or whether I was looking into it too much. No, I think that's right. And it's kind of off what Harry's saying, like the big pharma guys and the doctors aren't the biggest baddies because Ron's also pretty skewed. Like we know he's bigoted and he's also making a lot of money off these people's mm. illness and misery. Um, and it just so happens that he's helping himself in the process with the um, with the medicines and things. So no, I don't think, I think that's completely accurate. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think potentially like, that shot of the jewellery is, is is twofold, isn't it? I think it is that idea of, are they any different from each other? But also this idea of, maybe I shouldn't assume what someone's like based on, you know, because I thought I thought that, you know, I, I did exactly the same thing. When you see the shot of the, the really fancy gold watch underneath the shirt, you know, uh, cuff, I was like, oh yeah, this is immediately like indicating to me that this man is just only about money. 
But then when it comes back round with Ron, it didn't really get fully that same because I've connected to the character, that same impact from that shot. So I think it's Colmas trying to slightly teach that like, you know, just because you got a nice watch, he might have spent all his money on that nice watch. You don't know for certain. I mean, I've probably given him a pass. He almost certainly didn't. That's a lot of money, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, I think, well, sorry, sorry, you go, Lydia. I was just going to say quickly about um, creating the character of, Doc, what's her name, Dr. Eve, because um, that was a fictional character as well, having you see her being fired just because she reduced the dose, dosage of AZT to her patients, and she's fired within a boardroom of, what, six people, so it's not like it's a personal vendetta of that dot one doctor, it's a systematic mm. thing. Um and I think that creation of that character sort of aids in in that argument against the system rather than against the villains of, of the Doctor or mm. the FDA guy. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good point. I, I, I still feel like, I mean, obviously you can't introduce too many characters, but I feel like there's still a greater body of, 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 of the characters that, that like the people that would fall into and, and represent that system. Because obviously Jennifer Garner represented a character who, you know, tried to rebel against it and yeah, saw the repercussions. But I feel like, you know, there would have been, I don't know, maybe because I was watching it and comparing it to like how, like the bedside manner and things of doctors in today's day. But I just thought the, the, the um, Dennis O'Hare's character was not, he didn't have a very good bedside manner. So I think for me initially, I was like, well, I was pitted a bit against him. And I think it, for me, it was disappointing because I thought it'd be nicer to have seen a few more individuals maybe who did come across as nice people, maybe not had as much of a, an interest in doing the right thing as Dr. Eve did. <laughs> Other people who sort of seem to come trapped in that. But I know Brad's, you, you've also said that you think it's the opposite, but I don't know, I, th I thought, I just I thought it was a strength that he was certainly not a he wasn't he clearly wasn't a very good doctor or at least he had problems but I I thought there was a strength in the script that there weren't any snarling villains to to pin this whole thing on it was it was the system and really God society as a villain that's wanky but you know what I mean I thought that was a sign of a stronger film whereas weaker films would have made it just a nasty doctor kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fair. And also, Ron, it's not like Ron was an absolute hero. Do you know what I mean? He, no. he like it showed that he liked getting earning the money, and he was a bit of a dick. Mm. So I quite liked that it wasn't like here's the bad guys, here's the good guys. Mm. The Disney films I normally watch. <laughs> I thought that was quite nice that it wasn't like he's trying to do a good thing and everyone's rallying against him. It was, a, yeah, it was still a bit of a shit. From yeah. Quite a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to touch on the one scene which I remember from see. I it's still burned in my brain from like when I saw it eight years ago or seven years ago. The international montage oh, that's so bad. is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Right. Yeah, <laughs> this film clearly had such a small budget. Just sack that scene off. 
Like, yeah. it's bad enough when he's, like, in Japan and he's in the hotel room and they've got, like, you know, the Japanese street out the window, which is so clearly not there. But when he's walking around in, like, Israel or something and it's so clearly badly been stitched into the he's frame. It was like, and it's just the back of some guy walking. Yeah, it was just it was awful. Going. I just don't understand why they felt they had to do it. It was, like, the film was good enough and sophisticated enough and clever enough in so many other ways that doing a montage felt unnecessary in the first place and then you haven't got the money to pull it off so just don't do it (laughs) so jarring with the music as well it reminded me of um a series called parts unknown by anthony bourdain on netflix if you watch it the beginning is all like ding 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 ding, and it's just him in like jerusalem going And it was felt just like that, such but... clear like stock footage of a plane taking off as well. Yeah. Like it was hurried through. It was like yeah. missed frames going they up. And I was like that. They didn't film that themselves. Yeah. They just taken that from somewhere. Was there one where like was... the plane wheels were going up, but it was really fast yeah. and like <laughs> so shit. Was <laughs> a quick montage. Like it happened in like fifteen seconds. I felt like oh. as well. Like it was just like, such a unnecessary. <laughs> They used the same the same establishing shot of like the back of his head with the sunglasses and the hat twice, but they just mirrored it. One when he was in Japan and like five minutes later at the start of the montage in Israel. My attention was like, hold on. That's and then it was just like bad green screen of him walking behind. God, like, yeah, it just wasn't needed. It was it was a nice laugh, I guess, in a bad way, but uh it genuinely reminded me of um, Oh sorry, Charlotte. No, sorry, I was just saying it didn't make sense with the rest of the film, did it? Yeah, no. I, I, it reminded me is of um, Gus's milk video. For those of you, who... <laughs> <laughs> I always... thought of that as well. I thought that as well. Like that's how good Mike Nissen Bounds editing was. That me walking across a blue towel in the garden looked as good as this did. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't thought much about that. But they filmed the whole thing in like twenty five days, didn't they? So do you think they were just like? Oh, let's just throw this in there because we can't fly to Israel. We can't get to Israel, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is a new theatre production. It's amazing. <laughs> That's not... Speaking of the budget... Oh, gone. No, I was just exclaiming at 25 days. I had nothing more to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say something that probably is not going to lead to anything helpful because I don't really know the answer, but I was going to say, like... Going back to the Leto casting, I don't want to be a dead horse, but my my thought at one point was, now, obviously I don't quite know enough about the film industry to know how much this film probably, they expected this film to make once they kind of made it. Right? I don't know what their target was. But my brain kind of thought, with a film that had this low budget, did we need anyone aside from maybe Matthew McConaughey as the lead that was a name? Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt like mm-hmm. I didn't like. Did we need to have like Jennifer Garner and Jared? Like, I feel like those roles could have easily been. I mean, I don't think Jennifer Garner is particularly good in this film or ever really. But like, sure, I felt like you know the issue. Like, it's. I didn't feel like the film was high profile enough that it would be, you know, that it would cause people to not go see it if they did cast a trans person in this role, like. Mm. It, it had no money. It was probably not going to make a lot of money. So why would you know? It's not like we needed a, someone of Jared Leto's pop star fame to be in this film to sell tickets. Mm. Yeah, they're not appealing to the thirty seconds to Mars audience, are they? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> only the YouTube compilations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I thought, I, really I don't know if anyone's seen the film National Security with um, Martin Lawrence and Steve Zahn, but Steve Zahn plays the exact same character in that. And I was quite... Love Steve Zahn. Yeah, Love he's him. cool. But, um, but again, yeah, like I was, I don't know. Well, I guess he's, he's done, He's. I feel like he's actually done quite a few roles in films in the last 10 years or so like that. But again, I mean, I love him. I'm not trying to trash him, but... Thank you, are. But I would have thought he was a big name in that film, or maybe that's just me. But maybe Jared Leto is a, a huge name, and I wouldn't be surprised, Gus, if Jared Leto got wind of it and was like, "I'm playing this role" or something like that. Well, like, I know, read that he got that the kind of like I love the script. Ignored and, it. He didn't even oh, really? read it, oh. so he was aware of it for over like you know. I think because it, it was, I think the first like script full was written in like in like the mid 90s and it took nearly 20 years to get it made and you know there was points where oh god who was the first person who was attached i can't remember but at one point like ryan gosling was going to be in it and there was like um brad pitt as well yeah and so like the fact that jared leto clearly got the based on what he said he must have got the script around the time when he was you know doing quite a lot of stuff like requiem for a dream or panic room and stuff like that and so therefore to you know, to then not read it, it's well. Sorry, yeah, I'm not. I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show by Jared Leto because otherwise I'm. Panic Room doesn't he have blonde cornrows in Panic Room? Yeah, he looks really. <laughs> Is that weird. a big role to be known as the blonde cornrows guy from Panic Room? You, you remember, remember it? it? Yeah, but I yeah. watch people <laughs> interview with him at night. <laughs> I'm not the person to base this on. Yeah, it's not here. Not in how old he is. He's 47. He's 47. nearly 50. He, oh. he is in good shape, to be fair. Yeah. The vegan um, not that surprising in Hollywood anymore, though, is it? Like, you know, we can all we can go through a lot of the men who are in their late 40s, early 50s who look fucking unreal. Brad Pitt at 57. Yeah. Fuck me. Well, I was going to focus on Paul Rudd, as always. Paul Rudd's like 52. Christ. I, I didn't realise that. Sorry. I've got no chance. I look 57 now. <laughs> <laughs> Skincare routines, Harry. Come on. <laughs> I suppose we can talk about how good McConaughey was. We've all kind of touched on it, but I don't know if anyone had any comments. It's really good wow, wow, acting. Wow. So, yeah, I fully just bought into everything and liked mm-hmm. the arc and just some of the touches are just extraordinary so yeah I one of the things that I uh, sorry I've spoken enough go on. I just said I loved his walk I noticed it yeah. it's just like it's so yeah. good so spot on yeah. mm. I, I really love the end oh, oh sorry no nope. go. Go. go all I was going to say was I thought there was a brilliant couple of moments really early on where he was talking to you know the other guys he worked with or drunk with and stuff like that and like, the, and like, initially I was like, oh, is this performance good? What's going on here? And then I worked out like he's like, he, the character himself would like be, would like become someone else when he was in front of his friends. Like mm-hmm. when he was around people who he had to like impress with like his hyper masculinity or like, you know, his ability to like do loads of drugs. He, he behaved differently than he did throughout the rest of the film. And I thought that was a really, like, it wasn't, huge like he wasn't like shouting all the time or anything like that but it was a really nice touch mm. 
I was just going to say yeah. how much I like the cop character. He's on. Yeah. He was just canny. Yeah, Anytime a... he came on screen, I was like, oh, he's nice. I remember him. He's, he's nice. <laughs> he's just so lovable. <laughs> I also really enjoyed or appreciated the sound design of his sort of heady phasing mm. outness because someone with low iron, I can attest to that being a very accurate <laughs> representation. <laughs> <laughs> when you run up the stairs too quick and your head's spinning. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, those moments of just like when he's going, especially the when he had the heart attack in the toilet and he's gripping onto I really felt the grip on that, yeah. like in the toilet. Like those little touches of like like Gus has said, the, the the moments of when he's being, you know, swaggering dick, swaggering dick compared to the moments of like internal pain first of all the first one in the library when he has that frustrated he realizes he's he's fucked kind of thing just what a what a performance to be able to do both the swaggering and then just the intense and in time the intense intellect as well when he's rationalizing things and working things out it's just brilliant just brilliant yeah, i think like his moments of softness as well are really nice like when he was sat on the stairs with jennifer garner and you could see that he was just mourning already for this life that he wasn't going to be able to live yeah and that was yeah. really hard hitting for me mm -hmm. i really like the dinner scene as well when they had their date i thought that was yeah. brilliant really yeah. really brilliant with the painting yeah yeah saying yeah. how much we'd really appreciate being given a painting on first yeah. day <laughs> how many people do you think were given paintings the year that that film came out <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Keep it> up <laughs> I love the bit just going back to the heart attack in the toilet seat the fact that for all he was suffering it and he's you know you're right Harry with the grabbing onto the bar and stuff but it was the very like almost quiet way he fell to the floor that he knew exactly mm. how serious what was happening was but there was still this very private kind of like do not make a fucking fuss because as soon as you do everything's going to unravel and just that trying to minimise how awful mm. everything was that followed throughout. Yeah, I loved that. I thought it was a really good. Yeah. And it was like the way his eyes just went, like the sudden way his <laughs> eye, like, it was like the eyes just went. And like, that was great acting because it wasn't overdone. It wasn't melodramatic. It was just, oh fuck. And you saw it immediately with like the smallest, like widening of the eyes. You're like, shit, he's in trouble. He's seriously in mm -hmm. trouble here. I think that's like the, the tone of the film and so much as like the editing as well, just smacks that reality like that I'm thinking when he went to punch the orderly that was getting him the ACT and he just hit the deck and it's just like I think Jean-Marc Vallée has this kind of style across all his work and the editing of that kind of like kept smacking you in the head kind of thing almost like a punch of the air and that kind of matched in McConaughey's performance a lot of it um, for me at least like people might I don't know how people found that choppiness to it and but I always liked I think I really liked Jean-Marc Vallée as a, as a filmmaker because of that style so I thought it was a good way to tell this story of like the reality puncturing constantly how whenever it gets like poetic it's like oh actually no something I liked it apart from the one moment which I thought it was entirely unnecessary which was when he was <laughs> leaving Mexico with the drugs and like it was like a snap cut quick montage of him just saying goodbye to one doctor and it was like bang, 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 and I was like, "What? What was the edit there? Why couldn't you just shook his hand 
got in the car and driven <laughs> off like why have i yeah. seen it from 15 different angles <laughs> with that like but spliced apart it was just <laughs> I, it, I went whoa what was that yeah. got a bit trigger happy on that one yeah yeah <laughs> is that when he was putting the drugs in his car yeah Oh, I thought it was quite private because we didn't realise he was gonna what he was gonna do, and he's he just finishes the conversation with the, the doctor. The doc, you know, he's off on his journey now yeah. to be <laughs> selling them drugs. Also, <laughs> in Mexico, the butterfly scene, lovely. Brilliant, but the shorts, yeah. Like considering we were maybe short of footage, <laughs> maybe they yeah. didn't that in. Because that, that we can't do another travel sequence, so we we'll just put some butterflies in. <laughs> but the butterflies were CGI, right? They didn't look real. Yeah, surely. So where's how much of the, the budget on the butterflies? Yeah. <laughs> See, in my head, this it, like it just didn't make sense that much that like they turned up at the filming location. There just happened to be this room full of butterflies. They were like, oh fuck, we've got to use this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was at the same time that Rayon was dying, right? That scene. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to interpret any imagery there? Because I certainly. <laughs> Sorry, Harry, Harry, do, do you want to interpret? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we can. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not, not equipped to. to... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I have a separate lovely bit of imagery that I've been banging on about for the last three days. Was anyone else um, taken by the fact that him riding the bull and trying to cling on to the bull for too long was a metaphor for him clinging on to his life? Oh. <laughs> he said that about 12 times. <laughs> Can't like, wait yes, to say this yes. on film club. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very good. I thought it was a nice bookend, the the, the ball ball riding. Um, and there's probably a lot to be said that he wasn't riding it, but betting on it at first, and then he took the plunge. And first of all, he was having sex behind the cage, which was gross. <laughs> more, I don't know, ready for it, and he actually rode it. Yeah, there's lots to say, but I thought it was a nice book ending. It was something like. Not everything in his old life was terrible, maybe, or you know, he was still the person that he was, but now he's can ride a ball. I don't know. Part of the cynic in me thought that there was going to be that scene, and then it'd be like Ron died in a ball riding accident. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is where that's going, and then it'd be like two five five. I could only focus on the final frame. All I think it was Rocky three free frame ending. Like I, it just. <laughs> See, I, I sort of get it. I sort of get, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you know, I saw like a post the other day on Instagram by like a film account that was like, when films freeze their final frame, and I was like, yeah, does it? How often does it actually work in yeah. terms of actually? Like, most of the time, I just go, that what? Okay, right, yeah. we'll stop there then. Like, I feel like a complete cut to black is far much more effective than just hanging on a shot. That mm. like, what like what was in that frame that meant it should have been frozen? I don't well, really the, the know. The longer it went on, the more I was like, well, that's not Matthew McConaughey. And I'm just <laughs> yeah. being more and more aware that that's not Matthew McConaughey. You know, it was slightly odd to finish on a film where you were so think on a singular character like that's a stuntman. Mm. But I thought that final moment was almost a kind of like, I don't know, 
maybe I'm, I'm probably really far too much. I thought it was almost like a kind of like faux suicide attempt kind of thing. Like he was just no, he was at that point he was just willing to take any risk and he didn't really care what would happen to him afterwards. And like, that's the mm-hmm. way that the film was ending. Cause it was like, that's it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever now. I don't care anymore. Maybe it was also supposed to like on riding on that, pun not intended maybe it was also supposed to uh, thanks Max. it was supposed to add to the shock factor of saying how long he did survive because mm. i i also did yeah max i also thought he was going to die on that ball especially <laughs> when it freeze framed and maybe that was it was supposed to lead you to that expectation to then shock mm. you a bit more when it said he'd he died in 92 or I wondered if it was just a really to go back to that conversation on the stairs where he's listing all those things that he wants out of life and that he misses from his old life and riding the bull was one of them and the Mm. fact that you know settling down and having a family in that kind of way is like removed from him as an option so the fact that the one thing in his life he could do would be to ride a bull again and to get healthy enough that he'd be able to do that. So I thought it was quite a nice just ending. Like he got one of the things that he wanted out of life again, even if he got thrown off it. I don't know how bull riding works. That <laughs> was nice. But just to clarify, Gus, you do think that it worked in Rocky Three, right? I think I need to say yes for your uh, benefit. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> good answer. It was more just the Scrubs line when they discussed doing the same thing to like work, like to kind of like we've both got to look tough, but neither of us can actually get beaten up, so we'll do the Rocky Three freeze frame ending. That was yeah. kind of my thought, but yeah. Do you think it worked in Prisoner of Azkaban? No. Yes. So so weird. <laughs> it's like I just I, it feels so Quaron <laughs> as well. Quaron's like Quaron to do Azkaban. something like that feels so odd. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Film um, Harry Potter buffs. Lydia. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> It's it's a fun ending. <laughs> it's the best one. It's the best way to end it. Yeah. Why, but why can't he just continue off off frame? Yeah, I know. Now, like why can't he just go off into the sky and then end so it like joyful. that? He's having such yeah. a fun time. Yeah. They never do it <laughs> again. They kind of though. like blur his face backwards as well, don't they? To make it look like he's going really fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were just having fun with the effects, weren't they? Look at what we can do. Let's put it in. <laughs> Why not? Can you imagine if they'd ended any of the others with that? Cedric Diggory just died. <laughs> if you'd done it with like Voldemort before. taking the Elder Wand and just like doing that, it's like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> I want one of him in his really awful old age makeup in the epilogue, like just turning around <laughs> with the mist of public spread him. Yeah, it totally should have been done at the end of the final one when they're <laughs> off the Hogwarts and they're all old, but they're so clearly not old. Yeah, the worst aging makeup. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Bouncy blowout. Yeah. <laughs> that was bad. Um, has anyone got anything else they want to touch on? No. So, do our scores then? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, right. Uh, Anna. Eight. Alex was a seven. Uh, Ollie is there. He is Ollie. Eight, please. Eight. Uh, Nick, who's now who's going to be in a terrible mood. Nine. Uh, Neve. An eight, I think. Max. Eight. Uh, Lydia. Eight. Eight. <laughs> Laura. Seven. Uh, Katie. Eight. Eight. Yeah. Uh, Pav, uh, it's uh, Matthew McConnor eight from me. Oh. <laughs> 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 the first one was fine, the second one, <laughs> <laughs> um, Brad's all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Why were you Irish? <laughs> um, <no. laughs> um, I'm gonna give it a seven. Uh, Jen's an eight and Charlotte? Eight. Eight. Dallas Buyers Club can currently be streamed in the UK on Amazon Prime Video. Thank you to Anchor for helping us make this podcast and to Alex Conway for composing our theme music. Thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon with another episode. Goodbye. <laughs>